This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 25. The smell of Sunday lunch from my childhood is a scent that I will never forget. The Boswells were typically some of the last lingering people to leave church as my siblings and I would try to pry my dad out of conversations so we could finally go home and eat. When the door to the house cracked open, it was like walking into a glory cloud of food fragrance. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. Brisket had been cooking in the crock pot the entire time we'd been gone. Carrots and potatoes and onions added to the flavor and the aroma. And of course, the best scent of all awaited us. Fresh bread baking in the oven, announcing it was time to eat. As we gathered around the table on a typical Sunday, we ate in the dining room. And I remember my dad often saying, So this is the dining room, which must have been some old family joke of which I never knew the backstory. He still says it to this day. So do we. We have no idea why. (laughs) My parents still have that dining room table that we ate on so many Sundays. It was probably built in the mid-80s. It's shaded with a medium stain. The legs of the table complement some spindle-back chairs, which communicate this place of eating is not just for utilitarian purposes. It was meant for beauty, for fellowship. And of course, what made the dining room special was not the table itself, but what happened on top of it, what happened around it. Atop the table was delicious foods my mom had chosen and cooked for her family and sometimes friends to enjoy. What happened around the table was a shared meal. Everyone was welcomed. Every person belonged. They had their own chair. To this day, if I walk into our home and Jamie has put on roast and carrots and potatoes, I can't think but help of all those Sundays when our family gathered around the table together. Last week as we began our tour of the tabernacle where God had promised he would come and dwell with his people, we looked at the blueprints, not of the structure, but where the Bible starts giving detailed description of specific pieces of sacred furniture. First, it was the holy object placed within the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. The next two pieces mentioned in the Scripture are in a room just outside the Holy of Holies in a place known as simply the Holy Place. This was the part of the tabernacle where priests would daily attend to specific work. And within this section were three pieces of furniture, the table of presents, the golden lampstand, and an altar of incense. 
It's on the table that we will set our attention this morning. Like the table in my parents' home, it's not the table itself that made it so special, but what happened on top of it and around it. Atop this table, bread was placed for priests to feast in the presence of God each week. What happened around the table was that God's chosen people were welcomed. They belonged there. And of course, this meal that was shared in part through the representation of priests would one day be experienced in full by all of God's people who would be invited, gladly welcomed to gather around the table of God to come and feast in his presence forever. Brothers and sisters, this is what the King of Kings has done for us. You and I have been invited by Christ himself, who is the bread of life. We belong at his table, not because of anything that we've done, but because he chose us. He adopted us, sons and daughters of God. And now we each have our own chair to gather around and remember and renew God's covenant that he's made with us and to enjoy communion with him. In Exodus 25, 23 to 30, we find instructions for the table of the bread of presence, the second most holy piece of furniture found in the tabernacle. It was at this table of remembrance that God would set before his people a continual reminder of his provision in their lives. It was also here that God showed Israel a palpable expression of the everlasting covenant that he'd made with them at Mount Sinai to be their God and for them to be his people. The invitation of this memorial table was taste and see. This offering it held reminded them of two specific truths. One, God provides for his people. And two, God is present with his people. So there's our heading. Would you stand with me? As we read Exodus 25, verses 23 to 30. This is God's holy and inerrant word. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it a handbreadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first reminder from our passage is that God provides for his people. The table of the bread of presence was a visual reminder of the covenant, this formal agreement that God had made 
with Israel. It was because of his loving kindness and his covenant that that Yahweh would redeem and save his people, protect and provide for them, care and fight for them, and lead them to a land promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Israelites understood bread to be a picture of life and provision. It was a symbol of God's covenant. Through the lens of provision, let's look at both the main subjects of our text, both the table and the bread. First, the table. Scripture gives this table various names. Numbers names it the table of the bread of presence. Leviticus lists it as the table of pure gold. But 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 48 gets the award for the longest name for this piece of furniture. This is it. This is it. The golden table for the bread of the presence. That has a long title right there. Here it is simply called the table. We notice there are multiple similarities between the Ark of the Covenant, which we looked at last week, and this table. They're both consecrated. They're both constructed from acacia wood, covered with gold to show just how sacred they are. Both are adorned with molding for decoration. Um, Both have rings attached to them, and they require poles to be used for transporting them. A lot of things in common. There are also some differences. While the poles for the ark were permanent, the ones for this table were removable. This probably speaks to it not being as holy as the ark of the covenant was. One way we see this is just in, in people's engagement with it in space. Remember, the ark is tucked away in the Holy of Holies. Only one man could go into that space one day a year. Whereas this table would be set in the holy place where priests would come in and out throughout every day, ministering to the Lord and performing multiple duties. The dimensions for the table are given in cubits, which we learned last week was the distance between, do you remember? Bend in the elbow and tip of the middle finger, or roughly 18 inches. So the measurements make this table about three feet long, about a foot and a half wide, and 27 inches high. This is the size of a small desk. As with many things in Scripture, the size of the object bears no relationship to its importance. This is a very important piece of uh, paraphernalia. The passage is somewhat mysterious, isn't it? What's really happening here? And why is all this dinnerware always set out on the table? Uh, Perhaps you keep a table like this in your house where plates and glasses, even silverware, are set in place. So this is the dining room, maybe that. Or maybe you go in a model home and notice how the dining room table is always perfectly set and you think, I bet if we lived here, we would do that too. (laughs) Well, this wasn't just for show. This was like the kitchens of our households. This table was used nonstop. Um, While at least one of the plates would have held bread, we see that other dishes and bowls and pitchers are used. Uh, They're often used to hold incense. Some vessels contained wine, which would be used to pour drink offerings. If you step back for a minute, this feels a lot like a sort of sacred pantry, doesn't it? 
Uh, this is where all these holy objects were stored behind the scene. And as a priest would come out to make sacrifices and to lead in acts of worship, they would grab the vessel, the dish, the plate, the bowl they needed, take it out, use it, and then bring it back to this sacred pantry. But the Bible doesn't call it that, but I think it's a good title. Well, this is all we know about this table. Let's move on to the bread. Similar to my parents' dining room table, the most important thing about the table of presents was not the table itself, but what was on top of it. Following the instructions for how to build it, the only thing mentioned in our text about this table was this bread that was supposed to fit on top of it. This is the very bread that David and his men took in 1 Kings I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 21, as they're running from King Saul. This is also mentioned by Jesus in Mark chapter 2. For homework this afternoon, you could read uh, that account in 1 Samuel 21. But how are we going to talk about this bread if this is all the information we have? It's just simply listed. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Well, if we've learned anything about Moses... We know that he's not going to leave out anything important to the story. Moses is the best storyteller. He later records in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 4 through 9, the recipe for how this bread is to be made and what was supposed to happen with it. I'll read it to you. You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. I want to highlight a few things about this bread. First, notice the number of loaves, 12. 12 loaves are mentioned, which is certainly meant to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. A specific recipe was to be followed, and this bread is arranged into two stacks of six, a food offering to the Lord. Now, don't miss this. Each of these 12 loaves sit before God continually. He sees them. Yahweh continually sees the needs of his people. This is a constant, fragrant, edible reminder that God will provide for the needs of his people. As we learned in Exodus 2, he sees, he hears, he remembers, and he knows. He knows what his people need. And their needs are represented before him all the time. That's what's happening in this holy place. Second, feasting. The bread was given not just to sit there and smell good, but it was meant to eat as all good bread is. So let's pause for a moment with this thought. We know from historical records that the neighboring nations would put out foods to give to their idols, expecting that the deity would somehow supernaturally eat it. They didn't think it just magically went away, but they thought somehow spiritually they were feeding their idol. 
the practice of Hindu is very similar to this today. People will bring food, place it before the gods. Well, this is not at all what is happening here. Psalm chapter 50, verse 12, the Lord makes clear, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and its fullness are mine. So these loaves are not meant for God to consume, but they were an offering for the priests to eat. Specific instructions were given on when and where they're supposed to eat this bread of presence. The Levites are instructed to change out the loaves every Sabbath to eat them in the holy place and then to put out new bread every week. So every Sabbath they're coming in gathering, they're feasting, they've baked new bread, they're bringing that to replace what was taken. What principle does this teach us? Not only that God sees the needs of his people, but he will be the continual supply of his people. Every Sabbath, the priests are provided for, representing the whole nation before God. And haven't we witnessed this in the book of Exodus? God's provision for his people. With each step of their journey from slavery to freedom, God has supernaturally provided for them. He provided ten signs that turned the heart of Pharaoh to let his people go. Yahweh provided water from a rock to quench the thirst of his people, bread from the sky to nourish them day by day. He provided a pillar of cloud to go before them and be with them to lead and direct his people. And still God has provided for his people the most precious possession he could, his very word, so that he would be known. So like this bread supplied the needs of the priests on the Sabbath in the holy place, God met the needs of his people. And so Jesus meets our needs today. As we gather around another table in a few moments, the Lord's table, one of the things that we do is look back and remember how God has provided for us. We remember the salvation that he's given us. When we were enslaved to sin, he found us and set us free. He's given us these signs by sending his one and only son, by sending his spirit to to walk alone, to empower us, to be with us. He has provided for our physical, mental, emotional needs. He's the one who meets the needs of his people. And of course, we remember how God has provided our greatest need, our forgiveness of sin. And he did this through the sending of his one and only son, The point of the bread is that God was the provision for his people. In the sending of a son, God has made provision for our greatest need. And there's not one part of our life that goes unseen by him. So Christian, do you feel forgotten by God? Do you feel overlooked by him? Look to the Lord's table this morning to remind you that you are never outside the loving gaze of your Father? Is your faith weak today? Look again to the bread of life which was broken for you to nourish and sustain you, to uphold and fuel you. Are you weary from the weight of the unknown? Come and sit and dine with the one who you can trust with every step of your future. And are you carrying the burden of sin and you know you need forgiveness? 
Well, every time we come to the Lord's table, we just collapse together into the arms of Christ. We confess our sin before a holy God. We, we, we count no righteousness of our own. We just fall together into his mercy. And he provides for our every need. God provides for his people. The second reminder from this passage is that God's presence is with his people. The table and the bread were a reminder of God's provision, but they were also a symbol that pointed to Yahweh's presence. And I want to hang our thoughts on three words as we sort of work through this passage. The first is nearness. Nearness. By the opulence of pure gold overlaying every square inch of this table and uh, the surface and the poles and the rings uh, by the plates and dishes and all the things continually being put on it and renewed. What God was announcing to his people is, I am here. That's what he's saying. I'm here among you. In his mercy, God chose to dwell, to tabernacle in the midst of his people, not outside the camp but in the very midst of their lives. And he did this because the heart of God has always been to be with his people. From the Garden of Eden to the new city that will come, God's plan is to be with his people, to be among us. Nearness. The second word is communion. As we think about this ancient piece of furniture, don't let it be lost on us that God had set this table ordained this table so that his people might have fellowship with him. This is the second time in as many chapters that we've seen the leaders of Israel sit and share a meal in the presence of God. Do you remember this from Exodus 24? After God had called them to worship, given them his word, they'd confessed their sin, blood sacrifice had been made. Then God invites them to this meal halfway up the mountain. That would have been an unforgettable experience. Because what God was inviting them into was table fellowship. Eating and sharing food together was a feature of friendship. And that's what God's after. He wants the nearness, communion, friendship of his people to know fellowship with him, to gather at his table. And now in Exodus 25, we have instructions regarding the holy place that seem to be this continual, miniature, mobile version of what happened at Mount Sinai. God would set the table, as it were, for his people to come and and feast with him. When the priests came in each Sabbath, the table was set. This is God saying, I want fellowship with you. Notice it's a table. It's not a drive-through. They're meant to sit and enjoy, not to just breeze through and just get what they need and carry on with their lives. Oftentimes, that's how we treat church. But no, this is a a time for us to gather together and to just enjoy the Lord together. And week by week, the Lord spreads a feast for us, welcoming us as we sit gathered around the bread of life. And finally, satisfaction is the third word. As we think about how stunning this meal was, we we must recognize that it would have left out most of God's people. There's nothing worse than smelling fresh baked bread in the air and not being able to eat. 
And this is how it would for almost everyone. If you weren't from the tribe of Levi, a priest, this meal was not for you. Only the priests were allowed to go in and eat this meal on behalf of the people. We'll look at more of that in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. Yet when God sent his one and only son, he provided for us a way that all of us could enter in and feast on Christ. When we taste of the goodness and fullness of Jesus is when our hearts will be fully satisfied. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. The backstory of this reading is when Jesus has just taken a little boy's sack lunch and multiplied it so that thousands of people have eaten. This is a real story. This genuinely happened. The power of Christ was demonstrated as he multiplied this little boy's lunch. Bread was provided for all. And then the apostle John tells us what happened after the feast, beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, mind you, he just multiplied this kid's lunch and fed everybody. Give us a sign, Jesus. He's saying you don't want signs. You you just want bread. He carries on. they're, They're saying, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here I'll just speak to those of you who are outside of Christ. You've never believed in the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of your sin. He's speaking to a group of people who saw signs, And perhaps you, in your lifetime, have seen God at work all around you in the lives of other people. These people had heard God's word. And perhaps you have studied scripture, you've read it, you even have some of it memorized. You're here in church, hearing God's word opened. You see, these people had never believed in Jesus as their Savior, and neither have you. What do you do? Listen to the invitation from Jesus himself. We have it on his authority. He says, I am the bread of life. 
and hear the wide-armed welcome of the Savior. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Are you hungry for forgiveness of sin? Come to Jesus. He says, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Are you thirsting to be made right with your maker? Come and drink. Come and drink. You who have no money, come and buy. You who have no water, come and drink deeply. You who have no food, come and feast. Find forgiveness today. That's what the bread of presence is meant to point to. The bread of life who takes away the sin of the world. Israel had the bread of presence. For those of us who are in Christ, we've been given this bread. The bread alone that satisfied. The shadow of this ancient table is ultimately bathed in the light of Jesus. On the night when he was betrayed, he was surrounded by his closest friends gathered at a table. As he reclined, he took a cup and said, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The bread he offered there that night represented his body that was soon to be broken for them. And after blessing the bread and the wine, he said, this do in remembrance of me. This expression, not of the old covenant that was fulfilled in Jesus, but of the new covenant where forgiveness of sin is completely possible where the old heart that was once stone is now made flesh, where God and man are reconciled. So when Christ gave his body to be broken for us, what he was doing is welcoming all that he would call to himself to come and feast with him forever. And so let me just, just everybody just look at me in the eye real quick. I want to look you in the eye and just remind you that if you're in Christ, you're a part of this kingdom You've been counted as priests to God. Not just some people somewhere, but all of God's people everywhere welcomed. You belong here. This table that we're about to share and enjoy, you belong here. You have a chair there with your own name on it. Because before the foundations of the earth were laid, God set his love on you. And in the fullness of time, rescued you, bringing you to himself, sitting you at the table where we will feast both in this life and forevermore. Trails Church, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage and thank you for what it points to. Reminding us that you alone are our provision and that the gift of this new covenant that you've won and secured for us means that we get your presence both now and forevermore. Let us be satisfied in Christ. Change our appetites. Let us hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let us hunger and thirst for you. We ask in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.